at a church and counseling ministry there. And I just want to read this to you. It says, Dear family and friends, Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What was empty, formless, and void, God filled with beauty. And he said it was good and even very good. What God did with what was empty and void gives us expectant hearts as we consider the, quote, new and empty things before us. A fresh new year, an empty lot, an open parking lot, a new home, a cleansed heart, your life, our lives, the lives of those uh, around us. It encourages us in how God wants us to fill all of this with his good and beautiful work. We're gathering together each Sunday morning at our temporary meeting place. God's word and the gospel are being faithfully preached. Amidst the very real spiritual battle we're experiencing as a church body, we are seeing the Lord faithfully working among us, strengthening and deepening our trust in him, adding to his body and bringing laborers to help us. It is anticipated that the new church bill, so they got property and they're going to be building a new church, will begin in May and it will take up to two years to complete. We are so incredibly grateful for the home the Lord has provided for us. Thank you for praying for us so diligently. We are enjoying where God has placed us and know that this home has been given to him for his glory for however long we get to call it home. It's our desire to extend warm and wonderful hospitality. Uh, we have loved and experienced through our families and ultimately through Christ. We're about 15 minutes from where we previously lived on our church property. Um, the Lord continues to move our hearts forward in building a biblical counseling ministry as a key strategy to disciple our people and reach our community at every age. Plans for a mercy house to house the offices for our church, mercy ministries, and biblical counseling are underway. Jesus is strengthening Ricky and our pastoral team as they lead us in his mission. The Lord continues opening meaningful doors of ministry through Ricky's interactions with hospice patients and their families. Along with the administrative needs for Mercy Ministries, Sherry um, is enjoying discipleship relationships and gospel interactions with young ladies and women in our church body and ones we're meeting in our community. We enjoy the counseling, discipleship, and gospel encounters the Lord opens for us to do together. We step through these open ministry doors to help others know Christ, and in the process, our own hearts are being changed and drawn nearer to him, how good he is. Please pray for patient endurance through the church building and rebuilding, um, the continued strengthening and discipling of our church body, for our new home to be filled with gospel conversations that lead all of our hearts closer to Jesus, that the building of the biblical counseling ministry and Mercy House uh, wisdom as Ricky seeks to bring comfort of Christ to those facing life's end and our hearts to love Jesus first and we and that we walk in prayerful dependence on him your prayers and gifts of support have sustained and thrusted us forward through the past six months of significant transition into a temporary church meeting place a new home and new gospel and discipleship opportunities Thank you for your faithful investment, prayers, and friendship to us as the Lord continues his faithful and good work. Looking to God with you and how he will fill the new and empty things for his glory. It will be very good. Ricky and Sherry.
All right, so that's our missionaries in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. We've been supporting them for a couple of years, and they're doing a great work in a really um, a kind of a tough ministry environment. They are literally in right downtown Phoenix. So um, just want to bring you up to date with that. All right. I'm going to switch microphones here today. Hopefully. There we go. All right. Now, I'm in a series called Church Matters. Church matters, and it's and it's kind of a a play on words, and I mean by it both things that church matters, and there are church matters that we need to understand. So I'm going to invite you this morning. We're going to be all over the Bible, so get ready to write and turn your turn in your scriptures this morning. Uh, but I want to. You probably want to start in Ephesians five, and maybe put something in Ephesians six. Years ago, in the mid '80s, I was working a security detail in downtown Boston. And uh, we had, we would always have, we never knew who was coming and who we were working security for. One time it was uh, um, our then governor running for president of the United States, Michael Dukakis. But one of my most memorable ones was for a group that uh, I didn't think I knew until they sang their first song. It was a group called The Temptations. Does anyone remember their number one song and don't look at the screen? Yeah, it was my girl. Um, and and I, you, you know that song because it starts off with, I got sunshine on a cloudy day. When it's cold outside, I got the month of? Hey. All right. Well, I guess you'll say, what can make me feel that way? My girl. I'm talking about my girl. Who wrote that? Smokey Robinson. Smokey Robinson wrote that about his wife, Claudette, in 1964. Um, and it begs the question this morning, how does Jesus feel about his bride the church. And if he uses this analogy of the church as his bride, what does that reveal to us about how we should treat her, speak of her, and value her? If indeed the church is his bride. We betray a small, thin, and weak value of the risen Christ when we dump on the church. We might speak flippantly of what the church is doing wrong or doesn't understand or the problem of the church in our day. And we claim to know better than the church knows. And if only they could fix the church, all would be well. As one writer put it this way, as much as we claim to esteem Jesus and desire to speak highly of him, we reveal gaps in our devotion when we broad brush his bride with negativity, evidence strange biases against her, and feed on pop, on, into popular opinion by suspecting, seeing, spinning, and spreading the worst. If you can't say amen, say ouch this morning. We need to be careful how we approach the church. One of the analogies given is that we are the bride of Christ. And make no mistake, the church is, in fact, the bride of Christ. And what a startling thought to me that King Jesus himself would risk that image. That God would give us in his word this idea, this picture, if you will, of the church as the bride of Christ. John 3, 29, John the Baptist speaks of Jesus as a bridegroom. And he casts him as the bridegroom who is taken away. And we see that in Luke 
uh, 5, 34 to 35, and whose return is delayed. We see that in Matthew 25, 1 to 10. So John, Jesus' first, Jesus' cousin, portrays Jesus as this bridegroom. Well, all bridegrooms have a what? A bride. It goes without saying. And in one of the scripture's final and climactic statements, uh, Revelation twenty two seventeen says this. This is amazing to me. We just read right over it. But listen to these words. The spirit and the bride say come. Do you see that? Not just the spirit, but the spirit and who? The bride. And that means the church. We see the church active here. Revelation 21, 19. Listen to these words. This is, jot that reference down. Um, Revelation 21, 19. Listen to what the angel says there. The angel says this, come and I will show you the bride. Look at these, listen to these words. The wife of the lamb. Who are we today? We are the called out. We learned that last week, the ecclesia, the called out assembly. But we are also in God's eyes. We are the bride of his son, the lamb of God, who John says takes away the sins of the world. What a crazy picture. I, would, I don't know if I would ever come up with that. And, I, and, and we need to be so careful as a result of that. John here calls the church the bride or the wife of the lamb. The wife of the lamb. Now, guys understand this. And, and ladies, we love you, but I'm just going to tell you, I've been married to one woman for 35 years, and I love her. I'll take a bullet for her. I'll fight you in the parking lot over her. But I'm going to tell you right now, ladies, you, don't, you truly don't understand how men think and how we work. We, men work and speak in a respect system. We do. Um, I remember as a little kid, we were always uh, trained in school to get under the desks in case Russia launched a nuclear attack, like those metal desks were going to save us. That's apparently a nuclear fallout shelter is a metal school desk. We never put that together, Dale. We just dutifully got under our desk. And the reason we were taught that that never happened is because not only did they have nukes, but we had nukes. And the reason nobody hits the button is of something called MAD. Anybody remember what MAD stands for? It's, it's an acronym. What's it mean? Oh, come on. You can do better than that. Ready? Mutual assured destruction. My military people in here are the first ones. I love it. Yeah, we don't do it because if I destroy you, then you're going to what? Turn around and destroy me. So, so for all you ladies out there, that's how men work. Isn't that, isn't that how we approach each other? We, we treat each other with this reserved respect. And here's why. Mutually assured destruction. If you step over that line, we're going to go in the parking lot and throw down. Until one of us doesn't get back up. Now, I know you ladies are horrified at that reality. That's how our minds work. And all the men said? Amen. It's true. That's how, and, and listen to me. A man that endures degrading and disrespectful talk about his wife is not a man. Matter of fact, there's few of us that will really meet out in the parking lot and throw it down over a few things. But one of those things, I would, I would assert to a, to a husband in the room, to a husband in the room, you talk bad about my wife, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna fix that outside. Yeah, or your daughter, right? 
What are we thinking and how we are treating and speaking to? I sent a text out last night through, through your leaders. Apparently it was poorly worded, I was told, by one of your leaders who will remain nameless, but his, his um, abbreviation for his name is Tom Hurd. Uh, and, it's, and it's true, and I apologize for that uh, because it, was, it made a lot of people confused as to what was going on. People thought I was leaving when I've been here 23. I'm not leaving yet. Maybe I will after this sermon. I don't know. But, but I, I put that out there because we've gotten very sloppy. We're treating the bride of Christ poorly. And we have a date with an audience of the king of kings who is also our husband, the one who, is, who loves us and has given himself for us. And, and we need to get here on time. It's also dry rehearsal for next week when you've got to get here an hour earlier because next week's time change. Merry Christmas. Or should I say happy Easter? I'm on the Christmas kick. This is spring. <laughs> it seems like we just did time change. Anybody? Like, I feel like I just said to someone, I'm still getting used to this time change, and now here we are doing it again. So we need to be careful how we speak about the bride of Christ, especially in public. And I got a problem with people today who, and I meet them, and, and, and I'm trying to love them, trying to have gospel conversations, share the, share the good news of Jesus with them, and, and I hear this all the time. And if you're sharing the gospel, you've heard it too. Well, you know, I'm not into organized religion. And so I always ask them, so are you into disorganized religion? <clears throat> what does that mean? What they're basically saying is, yeah, Jesus is okay, and I like him, all right, but I can't stand his wife. Now, guys, let me ask you something. If your own children, your own adult children, those of you old as me have adult children, said, you know what, Pop, love you, love you to pieces, do anything for you, but I can't stand your wife, we're going to the parking lot. We're a package deal, folks. Don't tell me that you love Jesus and you despise and treat his church poorly. One of these two things in Sesame Street is not like the others. You're talking out of both sides of your mouth. And that includes getting here on time. We show little esteem for a groom when we insult his bride. Maybe this will be a more modern example. Get my wife's name out of your mouth. You remember that? Will Smith. Now, there's a lot of weird stuff around that. Okay. But there was his wife. And she was disrespected, maybe rightfully so, on national TV. But it was still his wife. And he got up and he, he smacked that guy in the face. We are the bride. We're the wife of King Jesus today. And we dare speak poorly of the bride and the lamb. Help you. So, those who generally admire and worship Christ will not only reverence his person, but listen to me, also his perspective. We will think like Jesus, and we'll be really careful. And we better know and remember that, what Jesus thinks of his church. What does Christ feel toward her? Something happened there, Paul. What does Christ feel towards the church? How does he talk about her? These are questions that we need to ask and both answer. I remember one of the most shameful, and, and I'll do this. I, I want you to know, my name's Paul Jettle Sr., and I have been a foolish man on specific days. Of my, I am no perfect guy. If you're new here, you know I will jump off any pedestal you put me on. So let me tell them myself. I remember to my shame, um, we were on a, sort of this weird few day getaway 
And it was one of these timeshare things. Y'all ever been stuck in one of those? And I, I tend to run wound up anyway. And, and it was, it, these guys were just aggressive. And um, we had gotten in the car and we had to bring some piece of paper in for them to give us the voucher for whatever. It was, I was stressed out of my mind and my wife couldn't find the paper. And I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm like getting ready to blow. So she finally finds it. And we, had, we exchanged some words and they weren't pleasant. It was mostly me. And she got out, and she was upset, and I made a state. I said something in relation to my wife so bravely after she left and closed the door. <laughs> and I heard this voice, and this little voice in the back seat, four-year-old Paul Jr., and here's what he said, don't talk about my mom like that. Man, I... I've never been a fast repenter, but I was that day. I, t I apologized to him. I apologized to her when she, I was a, don't talk about my mom like that. Oh, that we would love the church the way Jesus does. So let's look at his opinion of the church. Number one, and it's in your listening sheet. To, if you want to know what Jesus thinks about, number one, he chose her. He chose her. The great groom's choice of the bride is rather remarkable, if not a little bit of a head-scratcher. We're called a chosen race in 1 Peter verses, verse two and, chapter 2 and verse 9. And, and don't, don't, don't get this wrong. He chose her in her ungodliness and not because the bride had anything to offer him. Don't, don't get that wrong. It's not like... He, he saw us and said, oh, what wonderful people they are. I think I'll make them my bride. No, he knows who you are, and he loved you anyway. And then we see this wild thing, and it's, it, and, and it's, it's in the book of Ephesians. It tells us in Ephesians 1.4 that we are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Chosen by who? The Father. So God the Father chose the church for his Son before the foundation of the world. Of the world. And he writes their names, the names of that bride, of the people consisting of that bride, in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain, Revelation 13 8. There's a list, and he knows who we are because he chose us in advance. Ephesians 3 24. What a crazy verse. If you're in your Bible, flip over to Ephesians 3, look at verse 24. He says this To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now this is the end of a, of, a, of, a, of a song that we believe was sung in the first century church. Now notice what he says to him, to the Father, be glory. Now notice where? To, through, two, through, two group, through two people. In the church and in King Jesus. Do you see that? God, the Father, is not only getting glory through King Jesus. Listen, he's getting glory through his wife, his bride, and that's you and I. Do you see it? What, what an amazing and yet responsibility-laden statement that is. And I get it. I've, my whole life's been in church. I tell people all the time, I was born on Friday, and I was in church on Sunday. Now, I don't remember that, but my mom tells me that's true, and I, I believe her. Uh, and I can count on that hand right there how many Sunday mornings I missed the whole time I lived in their house. I mean, I had a drug problem going up, growing up. I was drugged to, to church every time the doors were open. 
<coughs> I'm professional. And listen, you go to church even moderately faithfully, and eventually you're going you're gonna to get hurt by people. You're going to get hurt by church leaders who themselves are fallen and they're doing their best, but sometimes we just blow it. You're going to get church hurt. But look, that is not an excuse to treat the bride of Christ with disdain. Those leaders are so-called saints that have, they have sinned, but oh, listen to me, that's not the final record. It's not over. The church worldwide throughout the ages is not mainly bringing reproach upon Christ. Rather, the church alongside Christ is bringing glory to the Father and making His wisdom known to all powers, earthly and heavenly. Don't you fall for that lie that the church is nothing but a failure. She is a glorious success in spite of herself because of her husband. Andrew Greeley said this, Search for the perfect church, if you will, and when you find it, join it, and realize that on that day it becomes something less than perfect. You know what's wrong with the church? is that you and I are in it. <laughs> and we're doing our best, but realize we, the church is chosen by Christ, just like I chose my wife. And I knew February 13th, I forget what year that was, Elizabeth. She'll know. On our first date, which wasn't even really supposed to be a date, when I held her hand in that car after our date was over, I knew I was going to marry her. She was the one. She didn't know it. But I set about that night to convince her. I chose her. And I still choose her. I still say I do. We got we to remember, what does Jesus think about his bride? He picked her out of everybody. He chose us. Number two, he cherishes her. That's the second C this morning. He cherishes her. Because the church is not just anybody look look what the scripture says it's his body ephesians 5:22 it's his body paul says to the church at corinth in 1 corinthians 12:27 you are the body of christ i'm going to talk more about that next week if we look at some more more pictures or allegories of the church you are the body of christ and the best rep body reference of all in Scripture is, is that God has not only put all things under Christ's feet, His authority or His rule and reign as sovereign of the universe, on the very throne of heaven, but listen to this out of Ephesians 1, to 23. But God gave Christ as head over all things to the church, which is His body, listen to this, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. We are the, listen, you know what that means? We're the physical representation of King Jesus on earth today, right now. That's who you are. That's who I am. And he cherishes us. Christ's vision and concern for his body boggles, stretches, and defies all human explanation, which might at least correct our uncareful speech and our careless actions towards his wife, the church. We need to take her much more seriously and hold her in much higher esteem. He loves the church, Ephesians 5 and verse 29, where the scriptures say, no man ever hated his flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Look at this, just as Christ does the church. Christ feeds us and he cherishes us. That word cherish means, means a, 
a love that takes that provides and protects. Do you see the cherishing of Christ over his bride? Christ loved the church, Ephesians 5:25, and gave himself up for her. So not only did he choose us, he cherishes us. King Jesus loves his wife. And by the way, men, this is not a sermon on husbands. But there, I think even, even the, 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 the uh, worst among us can see the application to us men as it relates to our wives. We need to cherish those women as God's very gift to us. Look at number three as he cleanses her. Now, don't, don't think that, that Jesus is ignorant or blind to his wife's defects. He's not. He's not. Matter of fact, he died in order to cleanse the church of her sin. And he doesn't take her sin lightly. Ephesians 5.23 tells us that he is the Savior, the rescuer of the church. No one, listen to me, beloved, no one takes sin in a church more seriously than Jesus. He knows the depths of her sin, but listen to me, yet he still loves her. And so should you. He knows us, and yet he loves us anyway. He not only chose her despite her sin, he not only cherishes her despite her sin, but he is also cleansing her from her sin. That's part of his, his husbandly activity towards the church. He died to both secure his bride and to sanctify her. And to make her holy. Ephesians 5.26. Talks about washing her with the water of the word. He rose and he lives to cleanse her by this washing of the water of the word. Verse 26. Man, we need the washing of God's word. He said, preacher, what am, what am I doing here? I, listen, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor since I was 18. Not a good idea, but that's just how my story rolled out. Church has always baffled me. I've been in it since I was a teenager. In leadership. This should not work. The world looks at this and this is crazy. Why do you voluntarily show up on one of the few days off you have in a week and you give a minimum of 10% and a lot of you more than that of your income to fund this thing and you work there for free and you sit and listen to some guy talk to you for an hour and read to you out of an ancient book. Seriously, this doesn't make any sense at all. How does this work? What is the deal? We're sitting, we're, you know why you're here? You're being washed by the water of the word. I am, I am in working in conjunction with our king, with our husband, and, and I am through him washing all of us with the reality, the truth of his word. We're being washed and cleansed, amen? Jay Brown sent me a... a uh, song to listen to on YouTube, and it's by Randy Travis. I love Randy Travis. This tragic story, but it's a story of redemption too. And, but anyway, it's it's a song called "Pray for the Fish." <laughs> and I thought, and as I pulled it up, Jay, I think, what in the world is this about? Why is Jay sending this to me? And the whole thing is these people getting baptized, and as they put them under the water, and all the sin rolls off them. Pray for the fish. <laughs> now we understand that's bad theology, but it's a great picture. Our sins are washed not by the water of the pond, but by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. And Jesus absorbs all of our sins. He cleanses us 
from all unrighteousness. One pastor wrote this. Listen to this. Do our words echo his? Do we join him in washing her, cleansing her, sanctifying her, building her up with our words and deeds? Or do we oppose him, insult her, sully her, tear her down by the spirit we harbor and the words we speak in the world and post on the web? Say amen or ouch. Ephesians 5.27 tells us that the day is coming when Jesus will, quote, present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. What's that mean? Here's what that means. Listen, listen to me. Sinners and saints today, there's two classes of people in this room. If you're a saint, he's going to clean you up. He's going to win. And cleaning you up is the best thing for you. And some of us need to stop fighting him in that venture. You can't out the grace of God, and I sure wish we'd stop trying. A part of this cleansing of the church means correcting her. Oh, but listen to this. But correcting her does not mean despising her or painting her sins in broad strokes. Uh, okay, so... I forget that as a dad. I forget that. Correcting doesn't mean despising. If we do it right, I correct my son and my daughter because I love them, not because I despise them. It's not to highlight their sin, but to highlight the hope we have for regeneration and righteousness through Jesus alone. When Christ confronts his church in Revelation 2 and 3, he addresses specific churches with their own failures. Boy, did they have them. But even in correcting them, notice, notice what he does. And I'm going to show you that in, in a minute in Revelation 3. In the correction, what's he doing? He is wooing them back to himself. That's how we need to understand Christ's ministry. He is, he is winning us back. By the way, fellas, I hope you are every day thinking actively of ways to re-win your wife, her love, her affection. Look what he says in Revelation 3, 19-20. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, now look at this, behold, I stand at the door and what? And I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. Jesus doesn't sit back in the arm in his armchair, hurling uh, criticisms about the church. No matter how much indwelling sin remains in her, for now, that's not what he does. What is? What do we see him doing? We see him wooing. He's standing at the door and knocking. He said, "Just open it, and we'll do life together again." We can get over this. Titus 2.14 says, He gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for Himself a people of His own possession. He's redeeming the church from her sin. 
purifying her as a people for himself. And there's no place for hopelessness about the future of the church. What did we learn last week in, out of Matthew 6, 18? Jesus said, I will build my church. And what about the gates of hell? The gates of hell are not going to stand against the onslaught of my bride. He doesn't just provide and purify. He protects and he goes with us in this righteous venture. What a beautiful truth that is. Revelation 3.21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He's going to bring us to himself, listen to this, to sit on his very throne with him. Y'all even realize that? And in order to do that, he's, he's making us perfect. What a beautiful truth this is. And then lastly, don't miss this, he covenants with her. This is a beautiful truth. You know, a marriage is a covenant. It's a con that word for today is contract, but it doesn't hold weight. Probably the last contract you signed was for your car. You signed it with the bank, right? And what's it saying? I agree to pay X amount of dollars for X amount of months, and you're going to give me this money so I can buy this car. Right? That's the last... And, and what did it cost you? It cost you whatever the payoff amount is, which, by the way, if you do your math, a lot more than what, what you think you paid for it. I'll give you a little economics thing here. This is free. I won't charge you for this today. Pay your car note two weeks before it's due, and you will save thousands of dollars by the time it, 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 uh, your note satisfies. Simple economics. But you know what? That's not how covenants worked in the Old Testament. You know what? You, you didn't sign a covenant. You cut a covenant. You know what it was called that? Because if we made an agreement, you'd stand on one end of the path, I would stand on the other, and we would kill a bunch of animals and cut them in two and lay those bloody carcasses out. And we would walk between them saying, I'm going to do my part, you do your part, and may this happen to us. What is that? That's a life and death covenant. And when you stand before the pastor, and I hope it is a pastor, and you say, I do, for as long as we both shall live, you have just cut a covenant. I wish we could do weddings that way. And see them nasty cut up carcasses split in two and say, you know what, may that happen to me if I walk out on this marriage. Because God takes it that seriously. And Jesus covenants with his bride. He makes a lifelong, not even lifelong, he makes an eternity long promise to his bride. He covenants with her. He said, I'm going to spend the rest of eternity with you people. Matthew 13, 43, he says, they will shine, his church will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. What a beautiful truth that is. Revelation 3, 21, I love this. To him who conquers, I will grant him to sit on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. But for now, the tears remain, don't they? It's hard. Life is hard. But oh, we need to look to the end and see that our king covenants with us as his bride. Like it's a promise. I'm not bailing on this relationship. And it's not a bunch of animals cut in two. Listen, that is based on his body that was absolutely ripped to shreds. And he paid the entire price. And he said, I did that 
because I chose you. I did that because I cherish you. I did that because through that blood, I am cleansing you. And all of that says this, I have cut the covenant in my own flesh with you and we will do life forever. He is a covenant keeping God this morning. Amen. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture, and I'm almost done, is Revelation 21.4. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know what causes us to weep more than anything? Death. Just does. Death is hard. It's our enemy. And one day God is going to judge death. It will be the day that death dies and what a day that's going to be. Until then, we weep. Got a message from a dear friend of mine that lives north of us in Bethlehem. His 24-year-old son had a heart attack this week and died. I didn't sleep for two nights. My heart broke for this family. The tears I know they're shedding. But I'm reminded that one day, because he's a covenant-keeping God, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore. And then he says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He's a covenant keeping God. And so we, his church, his church, his bride, his wife, we will receive the fulfillment of Scripture's great long-running promise he will be our God and we will be his people. He has pledged himself to us. We will have him. We will know him. We will enjoy him. And listen to me, we will dwell with him forever. His church is the people he has chosen to be with for eternity. And don't you ever forget it. So in closing today, before we have communion here in just a minute, I just, I just call this so what? What's the application point to this? He chose us. He cherishes us. He cleanses us. And he's covenants with us. So what? Well, here's the first one. How are you treating the king's bride? Maybe that's the question, should be question number two. Maybe the first question is, are you even part of the king's bride? Do you know who you are in relation to God? You say, what do you mean specifically? Let me be crystal clear here. Let me be crystal clear here. Has God awakened you to the reality and the horror of your own sin? Do you realize how bad you are and what an affront your, even your existence is to a holy God because of your personal choice of sin over the Savior? Now, I can't 
convince you of that. I can't open your eyes, but let me tell you what. I know what it's like because I was at age 15 when God opened my eyes. I was a professional church kid. I had chapters of scripture memorized. I could give you the Romans road plan of salvation backwards and forwards. And I was dead in my sin and an enemy of almighty God sitting underneath his act of wrath. And I thought I was fine. Matter of fact, I thought I was pretty much better than the rest of you was my attitude until God opened my eyes and I saw Paul gentle for who he was and I was in trouble and I never knew such fear in my life because God said, let me show you what I see. And I saw all of the sin against a holy God and I literally stood there at the age of 15 and I trembled under the weight of my personal choice of sin and my rejection of a Savior. And only then could I even see the Savior and did He make sense to me. And I looked to the cross and I saw all of this sin against a holy God and I saw it in Jesus Himself. And at that moment, God changed me. At that moment, He put me in the cross with Jesus, brought an end to me and resurrected a brand new person, one with the Holy Spirit. I was born again. You say, I don't like the way I was born. Then be born again. You must be born again. And when you are, you become part of this grand thing called the bride of Christ. And she is precious. She is beautiful. But she is powerful. How are you treating the king's bride as part of her? You say, well, I don't do the church thing. I'm going to tell you right now, you can't say with any authenticity that you love Jesus and hate his bride. You're talking out of both sides of your mouth. Listen to me, one of those things ain't true. You deal with that. The church has many critics, but she has no rivals. Number two, do you love, serve, and pray for her? Do you love her? Are you serving fellow members, the bride of Christ? Are you praying for her? Oh, we need that. The poet said this, I love thy church, O God, her walls before thee stand, dear as the apple of thine eye, engraven on thy hand. He loves her. Do we love her? Do we honor her? And last one, do you even know how much our king has done for us? I think we've forgotten. I think we've forgotten. And that's what this memorial meal is all about. He meets with us in these elements to like physically remind us what he's done for us. And that's what we're about to remember right now. Someone said this, and this is the last thing I'll say in this sermon. If you make the church important, she's quite likely to return the favor. I think we've got to make some adjustments. Now, what do we do now as we approach this table and we're reminded how much our king has done for us, how much our husband loves us and provides for us and protects us? What do we do now? Here's what you do. Maybe right now, and I wouldn't be surprised because I know how the power of the gospel works. Maybe right now God is... Reveal to you your sin, and you're struggling to see the Savior part of that. Flee to the cross of Jesus. Right now, pray. Talk to Him. Talk to the Father and say, I have sinned. 
I am on the wrong side of this relationship with you. Repent, turn away from your sins, and hold on to Jesus at the same time, and God will cause you to be born again and make you new from the inside out. And all the church said, what? Amen. Amen. And that's for you today. That's what you do. I've done that. Then, then let God search your heart as relates to his body today, his bride. And let's repent and make some adjustments, because in a minute... We're going to be reminded how much he loves us and what he's done for us as we take this bread and this cup. So let's take a moment and seek him. And as you are praying, seek his face. Ask God, is that me that preacher's talking about today? Be bold enough and brave enough to do just that. And then I will close us in prayer and we will set this table up.